Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles. I'm from a company called B Squared, and I am the host of the Sendcast, the podcast for special educational needs. Each week, we'll be talking about a different topic in the world of special educational needs to improve our knowledge, to provide support to professionals working in schools, and to empower parents. The topics are chosen by our guests, and in this episode, I'm going to be discussing the recovery curriculum with my guest, Sarah Jane Critchell. A regular on the podcast, Sarah Jane is an author, speaker, consultant, and coach. This ended up being another long discussion with Sarah Jane. This is part one. Part two is available to listen as soon as you finish this episode. As well as this podcast, B Squared also run the Virtual Send Conference and Parent Talks. The Virtual Send Conference is a conference for schools that runs twice a year. It is a virtual conference. The conference comes to you over the internet. We record every session, and this means that you can watch the videos whenever you need to. You can purchase access for future or past events. For more information, visit www.virtualsendconference.com. At the end of the episode, I'll be giving a discount code so you can save some money when you purchase access. And Parent Talks is the same approach for parents. And to find out more about Parent Talks, visit www.virtualsendconference.com forward slash parent talks. Now on with the podcast. In this week's show, we're discussing the recovery curriculum. Discussing this with me today is Sarah Jane Critchley from Different Joy Partnership. Sarah Jane was previously the program manager of the Autism Education Trust, where she commissioned the AET school standards and competency frameworks. Welcome to the show, Sarah Jane. Hello. Welcome to everybody listening. Hey. So the recovery curriculum has been discussed quite a lot over the last few months. It's designed to help children return to school and cope with the disruption and the consequences due to the lockdown. Absolutely. Probably the best place to start is what it is and what it isn't, because I think that might be really, really helpful. So what the recovery curriculum is, is an idea, it's a concept framework, it's just a a theory, a way of thinking about how to help people get back to school in a way that understands and recognises the experiences that they've had that enables them to come back and get back to learning, that they're able to move on. What it isn't is a checklist or a, a particular way of assessing people or a way of baselining anybody. It is a theoretical framework that gives you an idea of how to approach it. And people are giving ideas and different ways and different resources that you can use to help get young people back to school more effectively. I suppose it, it is very, very individualised. And you're probably going to do a lot of prep work thinking about it. But once you've done that prep work, after that, it's probably quite reactive. Yeah, I think there are two different levels. So one is, what is the strategy that we're going to have when we go back to school? What are we planning to do to greet these amazing children back into their safe space so they're fit and ready and okay to learn? And then there's a, what do we do when they come back and they're not presenting in exactly the way that we're used to them presenting or something comes up that's different? So that's the reactive element. Yeah. It came originally out of Professor Barry Carpenter and his son, Matthew Carpenter, just being really worried about the state of our young children coming back in, looking at the news, realising that 2020 has been a year like no other. In none of our living experience have we ever had schools shut. It just hasn't happened. This is, this is unprecedented in our lifetimes, but not actually 
in everybody's lifetime. And I know you're not a fan of history, Dale, but I'm going to put a historical perspective on this just to kind of stop people freaking out quite so much. Because there have been times where we've closed schools before. We did it in the Second World War. We closed schools in the Second World War. And we shipped large quantities of children out of the cities and into the countryside. So, you know, we have had people whose education has been massively disrupted in the past. This is unprecedented in our experience, but not in everyone's experience. And anybody who's lucky enough to still have a, a very old grandparent around might actually have experienced that themselves. So my father-in-law experienced being outside London and having prisoner of war people helping with his German, for example. <laughs> so, you know, there is a very different experience in some of our older people. So it's just we need to kind of try and at the same time as realising that this is a really difficult period for everybody. It has provoked levels of anxiety, concern, distress and real trauma in lots of people. But it's not been the same for everybody. And actually, we will make it through. So yeah. let's just start from a positive point that however awful the current situation may be for some people and not everybody, we will get through this. There will be a new day and children will be able to learn and it will be better for them in the future if we approach it right. And one of the concerns underlying the recovery curriculum is that if the predominant drive of education is to look purely at the academic loss that's happened during that period, we will run the risk of traumatising children further by expecting them to do things they are not capable of doing because they have lost that experience and lost a whole host of things on the way. Now, that academic loss, at the moment, it's all speculation, isn't it? Because we don't know. Until we kind of get to the end of the autumn term, we don't really know, is there a loss? How much of a loss? And I, I'm, I'm not a big Twitter person. I generally, I use it as a bit of a, a thermometer. So when all the schools started going back, I kind of just browsed Twitter just to sort of see what the comments were. And there were those worried about how many had come back, how many hadn't come back, how the pupils were. And there was a few tweets which stuck in my head and it was like a year one teacher going, my children are back and they haven't forgotten that much. They're, they can, they, they know how to, if, if some of them has dropped, but actually a week or so in, they were back. Mm. So you don't really know. It's, one of the things that I was a bit reactive is all this stuff is we're, we're worrying, we're preparing, we're thinking, we're supporting. But we kind of, in a week or so's time when those kids are back, that's when we're really starting to go, okay, so how's this going to look? What is the impact? And as you go through that term, it's, there's the academic impact. How big is that? And then there's all the other impacts. And that's the more important part to me. Absolutely. The academic is something, at some point in their life, they will catch things up, depending on which year they're in. So if they're heading into GCSE year, that's going to be more impact. There's a lot more, there's, but it's more, even then it's probably more, less academic impact and more anxiety and other impacts that's affecting them. Well, I think it's multi-layered. So we know that children tend to fall back during the summer. That tends to happen normally and naturally. And, and everyone's kind of used to saying, right, okay, we're back now. How do we get back? their understanding from where they were that's something that teachers and people in school have been doing for years yeah. that is familiar it's kind of a bit like that on steroids but if you then imagine that some of those young people will have had formative experiences that are less than good 
Not yes. all of them. So some people in lockdown will have had access to amazing facilities, will have been able to go swimming in their own pool or will have had time to build models out of Lego or will have had parents who had the time and the facilities to be able to give them experiences they wouldn't have been able to have otherwise. Or they may have been based at home and they may be less anxious because that's their safe place. And their experience will be more positive whereas other children may not have been in a safe place when they were home. Other children may have lost a member of their family, or they may have lost a neighbour, or they may have lost a grandparent. And their experience will be fundamentally different. And it will be conditioned not just by their experience and their understanding, but also those of the people around them. And the reason we're talking about trauma right now is that there is a sense in the wider community that people are not feeling safe generally that there is a a shifting understanding of how safe we are and whether we're okay to be out or not and whether we're getting messages that it's all all right but now it isn't because now we're in lockdown in Birmingham again all of a sudden you know it's kind of it's a very shifting pattern a very uncertain pattern and most people not just autistic people most people don't deal terribly well with uncertainty you know we like to make things safe and secure and to know that what we imagine might come to pass, that's kind of hopefully a a positive thing rather than a negative thing. But even a negative certainty feels better than a positive uncertainty psychologically. That's weird, but it's true. So your brain's designed to keep you safe and it doesn't like things that are unfamiliar, even if they're good and unfamiliar. And what we've had is lots of uncertainty. So that's freaked people out left, right and centre. And Some adults are better at dealing with that than others, and some children are better at dealing with that than others. And some children are surrounded by adults who are struggling themselves, and that's no fault of theirs, but that is their reality. And for some children, the only safe person that they know will have been their teacher, and that teacher shut the door, the school was shut, and then they were gone. So the experience is so variable that I think you're absolutely right in saying that we need to have a a base level of we're going to be more compassionate in the way we approach people for a first point. And if you stop listening now and take that on board, that's the one message to take away. Please be compassionate when you see people walk through the door. The second thing is to understand that some people are going to need more help than others. And they may not tell you that up front. It may not be obvious up front. And we were talking earlier and you were explaining how, how it's wonderful to actually see kids in and they were absolutely fine. And they felt fine, but that's their safe place. And it may be that it isn't until they've been in there for a while that some of that trauma and that experience is beginning to unpack and that they are then starting to feel safe enough to behave in a way that is more authentic for them and that actually shows that. But I guess one of the things you can't do is you can't get your MIS system out and go, right, who's got SEN? They're going to be a concern. Who is people premium? They're going to be a concern. Who's you can't even use a rule book to work out who needs support. It's literally yeah. you're going to come back in and you might children you think, well, yeah, they might actually be fine because hmm. actually their parents quite blase about it and never passed their fears on. And so therefore they didn't they haven't got that fear. It's just nice being but then you might have parents who are worried, which make the child worry. And you won't there's not like a simple if the child's in this situation, they're going to be, it's yeah. literally each child is going to be completely unique. And I think of my colleague, John, 
his wife went down to the park when it was starting to get safe and you're allowed to meet up in the parks. And they took their children, who I think sort of year one, down mm-hmm. to the park. And one of the children disappeared. They'd kind of run away. Mm. But what they'd done is they'd gone around the corner and hid. There were too many children. They couldn't cope. Oh, no. Because they just had the last few months alone. Yeah. At home with their parents. And suddenly, there's 12 children. Couldn't cope. Yeah. So he just disappeared around the corner, took himself away, and just kind of hid. And he couldn't cope. Mm. So you sit there and going, hadn't even thought about that. Hadn't thought about, actually, when you're somewhere quiet, you're, you're hearing slowly adjusts. Mm. And you hear the quieter noises. And when you're in a really loud place, a really loud bar, you're hearing does the opposite. It gets desensitized. Mm. And for most people, it gets desensitized. And you can, and for all these children, life's been calmer and simpler. One or two people to work with and listen to and focus on and pay attention to, just suddenly having lots of things really busy, causing them anxiety. Absolutely. And some people have had a fantastic lockdown. You know, it has been their, their perfect, their quiet, their safe space, their, their restricted environment, the chance and the space and the peace and the relaxation and chance to do exercise the way they want to do it and enjoy things they love to do. And it's been perfect for them. Are you, are you talking about all those people without children? Yeah, I couldn't possibly comment. <laughs> I was thinking of the children at that point. But actually, hmm. Obviously, people without younger children, certainly. Yes. <laughs> kind of... I, th- I think what is a benefit to one person is a mm. downside to another. And yeah, so it's, it's, you really have no idea how these children are going to come back. I look at my own children and having a structure again is really going to help them. Mm. I know that actually having to get up in the morning, not because I said so, because they have to be at school, that's going to be a big bonus for them seeing their friends, having that structure, having work. Because you ask how they are at the moment, they just shrug their shoulders. Mm. And I think it takes time to sort of realise where you are, realise what's going on. And I think having a structure and getting back to school is going to be really good for them. I don't know if they'll be able to put it into words how they feel for a while, if ever. Absolutely. But it's, I, I just hope that with schools, they are, this way we talked right at the beginning, is that planning. What, how will our lessons be? Is it sit in silence and get on with your work? Or it's like, I've just come back to all my friends. They're all around me and I cannot talk to a single one. Oh. Or actually, let's do stuff in a slightly different way, which slightly makes it more engaging. Mm. Um, there might be more discussion. There might be more socialize is it's actually do people want to work in isolation or do you actually want to be have a more relaxed classroom where they're still learning but it's a different way I think it's going to be very interesting to see how it all pans out but the one thing I would advise anyone who's teaching is to try and be flexible and to allow space and time so we'll come on to how to do that in a minute because we've got lots to talk through obviously because it's it's exciting but the first the thing to think about is that everyone's experience is different and you don't know what that experience is. And as you were just saying, you can't predict what that is. So you won't be able to sit there and look at your data and go, oh, yes, that's going to work there and that's going to work there because it's not that straightforward. 
And there's the whole of the internal ecosystem as well as the external. It's the things around them as well as their own predisposition, any conditions they've got, any experiences they've got, any resources they've got in their family. And of course, some people's experience has been really, really difficult. So some people who are actually at home have been hungry. You know, that was something we never would have imagined. So if you're sort of taking children back in and they've struggled to have food, people have failed to have really struggled to put food on the table and I know colleagues in special schools who've been supplying meal vouchers and there was a whole meal voucher debacle at the beginning of lockdown where vouchers have been provided and supermarkets were rejecting them and that was the only thing that parents had to feed their children with and they've really struggled so I think it's it everyone's experience is very different and I think the experience of being hungry and not being sure that you can eat is fairly fundamental actually and it's something that we very easily forget if we're fortunate enough to have a fridge full of food and access to Tesco who can deliver and the money to pay for it you know it's very easy to forget that's not part of everybody's experience so um, I think it's worth remembering that and just being in school and being able to be fed at lunchtime can be a huge thing you know you can't concentrate if you're starving hungry you just can't it's not it's a very basic thing yeah, and I think um, when when you are in those situations where, as a family, you can't afford food, your parents might be furloughed or redundant, yeah, and you've got all this is whatever's going on in you as a parent will affect your children. Absolutely, they will reflect, and just being out of that environment for a few hours can mm. help children as well. Mm. So I think getting back to school can be a really positive thing and we want that to be part of the experience. And I think everybody in the country wants that for their children. They want them to have a, a lovely, safe, happy educational experience and to be part of society again, to feel that they belong again. That's been something that people have lost. So I think it's really important that they do that. So there are some really good things that people have experienced as well, though. So we need to make sure and celebrate the things that have been amazing because it isn't all doom and gloom. So sometimes, for some people, doing Jeff Wicks every day has been the first time they've ever taken health seriously, that they've ever really exercised and loved the feeling of being in their body. Lots of people have learned to cook for the first yeah. time. There have been the British baking project where everybody ran out of flour because we're all baking massive catering quantities of cake and then eating it. Or maybe that was just me. But <laughs> it's kind of where we've made sort of five different types of cake in one week and slowly the cake disappears and then more has to be made. Oh, look, yes. all of a sudden. And that has been a formative experience for some of our young people who hadn't had that. A lot of families were able to spend more time with each other. Absolutely. So I know someone who is a secondary school teacher. He's, uh, I think his wife works for the council. They've got their kids. And when I'm walking home from work, I bump into the whole family in the park. Oh, how lovely. So I think for a lot of people, and I think it's for adults, you've sit there and reprioritized your life in certain ways. What have you enjoyed about this time? Hmm. For a lot of us who are fortunate, we've had positive experiences. And you start sitting there while we're whinging. You sit going, what? I don't, you sit there and think, oh, am I really going to whinge about that? That's a bit of a first world thing. Mm. I'm someone who's traveled for 16 years. I always go out to schools. I'm meeting new people every week. I'm going to new cities. I'm traveling. I'm never stationary. I'm working in airports. I'm working 
in hotels. I'm visiting schools. I do this. Mm. And I've not been anywhere since March. Mm. And it's been really odd. And <laughs> when I'm used to seeing a meeting, a hundred different people a month. Yeah. Just, just having my wife and my daughters, it's, and just be lovely. My family are lovely. It's just, it's different. And I miss, and so I'm probably in some ways, I might not be as happy, hmm. but I don't know. And I think it's really interesting. I think you're right. It's, I think everyone's experience is very different and that things, we tend to assume that things are either good or bad. We tend to have a very binary view about things. And one of the things I think is really important about this particular curriculum, this particular idea, the concept, is that things are both. They can be both good and bad. There is happy and sad. There's kind of, I'm not really sure yet as well. And there are everything in the middle. And learning that emotional language, learning how to deal with experiences that are great, learning how to deal with experiences that are appalling, and learning how to deal with experiences that are just a bit boring and a bit meh. You know, everything in between, that's all part of the emotional learning that we need to help our young people learn to do and to have the, I'm about to say the horrible word resilience. I hate the word resilience because it assumes it's something that only happens inside people rather than things that you learn to do. But, you know, it's to help build those skills so that when these sort of experiences that are existential for some of us, actually, we have something to draw on. We have some experience to draw on. I know young people don't have the experience we do. And some no. of us have struggled. So, so we kind of, it's about helping them to develop that. And on the flip side, we don't have their experience. We never had 20-odd weeks out of school at the age of 10 in the current world and know how to deal with it. Mm, absolutely. So I think it's going to be a really interesting period. And the other things that I wanted to talk about being really positive that have happened is the sense of community that we felt, particularly in the beginning of lockdown. That's, that was totally different to how things were pre-lockdown. So that whole clap for carers thing that we did, celebrating VE Day on the doorstep with other people around you that lots of people did. The number of people who volunteered with the SAM volunteers thing was phenomenal. You know, that was unprecedented too. So the unprecedented isn't all in negative. It's also things that we can celebrate. And it's really important for us to integrate those joyful experiences as well as the experiences that have been more challenging. So it's around giving space and time for the good stuff as well as the less good stuff. Yeah, it's, uh, it's opening that door. So yeah, that might, I can't go here, but actually if I do that, it might not, it's not the same. Yeah. It might be good. It might, don't know. Got to try it first. And for me, I left all the uh, Facebook community groups because they are all moaning about various things, outdoing <laughs> each other. <laughs> I keep 2.2 meters away. You only keep 1.8 meters away. I'm better than you. All that rubbish. And I hated it. So I left all the groups. But at the same time, a lady up the road who actually works in the behavior team at the local council basically invited everyone in the road to join a WhatsApp group. Mm. So everyone in my road, we're all in a WhatsApp group and we say happy birthday to our neighbours. We get out in the road sometimes and sing happy birthday to the kids. Yeah, and that's really lovely. So I've left the odd people in our bigger community and focused on the people in my road who are all absolutely lovely. And that's been a really important thing. And we'll come on in a minute to how important community is. So we'll talk about ways of building that in the new context in schools as well, because that's vital. So let's just talk for a minute about why we need it. So we've talked about the fact that 2020 has been a really difficult year. We've talked about different experiences. 
But the reason why we need it for our young people specifically is that if you are stressed out and anxious, what happens is that cortisol blocks your learning pathways in the brain. So the stress hormone cortisol basically sits there and means that you cannot take on board new information. So we have to allow for that stress and anxiety to drop in order to be able to learn. And there's a wonderful quote here from McCulloch, who in 2008 said that anxiety is a key block to learning. It can prevent the imprint on the brain. So it just sits there and stops you from learning anything. It's like pouring water onto sand. It kind of goes straight through and doesn't stick. So there will be an amount of time that we need to think about, A, helping people to reduce that cortisol in the first place so that they're less stressed and can learn. B, going back over the things that they thought they knew because they may not remember and they're not being defiant or stupid or ridiculous. They just haven't been able to retain it because they haven't got the wherewithal to make it safe. So it's around providing strong enough attachments and relationships and scenarios and structures and all those things so that our young people can retain what they're learning and then move forward with a stronger base because that's what we want for them isn't it yeah definitely so we've talked about people's experience being different i don't think we can undermine the amount of trauma of having had over forty-one thousand people die in no. the last year and the fact that that is dramatically more than we would normally expect you know the well some people would have died anyway isn't a good enough reason you know it's massively above that and some people will have lost people they know and love so that is a huge thing there's been the general level of anxiety around which is higher than it was in the past and we're now tipping kind of slightly out of covid anxiety into economic anxiety and i think that is something that is going to be incoming and present for our young people as they go back to school, if they go back to school in September, as we hope and pray that they do, because the impact of the economic downturn will be hitting their families. And I think that's something that in schools, we have the capacity to support people and make it their normal and their safe space and their place where that doesn't have to impact their opportunity. Now, oh dear Lord, I would give my right arm if we could just have the same educational opportunities for everybody regardless of their financial situation that isn't the reality and we have loads of research that says that that's the not the case however we know that some education is better than no education <laughs> regardless and it doesn't matter where you are on that sort of economic cycle getting access to education can be life changing so we want that to be the safe space for people to be we know that a lot of control has a big impact on people's ability to learn. And getting control of your own learning as a young person is a brilliant place to start. So if you give them the capacity to feel safe and the ability to choose, then they can be free to learn in the way we want them to learn, to be those excited, engaged learners that we loved before and that we want to have back again. That's what we really want for our young people, not people who are sitting there terrified and just waiting to repeat back what you've said to them because they know that's the right thing to do. But I think that choosing is quite an interesting one because they probably some children have probably spent the last 20 weeks being given choices and not making the best decisions and not having for the future they might be taking the fortnight or schoolwork option mm. 
and they might not have had people supporting them making those decisions. So some of these children are going to come back in school and they might not be making those right decisions. And it's, it's, it's almost like you've got to support them and help them start making the right decisions. And that's, a, that's going to be a lot hard job because you don't want to do it through punishment. And it, I don't know how you do it is the answer. So I know uh, my daughter's school, um, uh, secondary, I think at some point in July, you had phone calls with the tutors and they actually looked where all the children were. And one of my daughter's friends hadn't done a single bit of schoolwork from March to July. So they then had to start going into school mm. from that moment. So you've got to think about that child wasn't making that decision, but the uh, support around that person also wasn't helping them make those decisions either. So they're not going to be yeah. able to come back in September and go, oh, yes, I'll do all my homework. Oh, yes, I'll do all this. Yes, I'll be actively engaged in my learning. Oh, that's going to feel very alien to that person. And it is. There's a lot of building work to be done there. Absolutely. But that's what teachers have been doing for years. You know, this is their stock in trade. This is what they have been set out to do. It is their passion in life. That's why they became teachers in the first place, is to make that difference. So this is a time to kind of get going, pull your shoulders back, deep breaths, put your heart into the job because your children need you to have heart when you turn up. They are not going to want you to sit there and grade them and say you failed utterly because you did nothing since March. It may be that they did nothing since March because they don't have a laptop, because you, the te school didn't send them anything, because they don't have access to resources, because their parents have been working flat out as a key worker, because they've lost other members of their family, and frankly, they're struggling to keep their heads above water. There are lots of reasons why they may or may not have done it, and it isn't all the basis of decision. Sometimes it's opportunity, sometimes it's That's resources, true. sometimes it's support. And everybody's story is different. And yes, sometimes it'll be, I can't be asked and nobody made me. You know, <laughs> that may be a decision too. But there are reasons why they've come to that decision. And yeah. being punitive about that is not a way to go, in my view. Yes, definitely. It's, because it's, it's not the human thing. I think having that heart, that's what the next term and beyond is all about. Having that heart, understanding, more compassion. I think that's Absolutely. What and I would put a, a plead out to anybody who's sending communications out from school that that heart has to start with the written communications that is inviting children back into school. I have seen a horrific example of a letter that went out from a school, and I won't mention which one because it's not actually relevant which one it is, that said that child X had not been doing the assigned work and child X would have to come in and do some catch-up work and that child X was in danger of being rejected by the school because they were putting an unfair load on the school community. And it was very punitive, actually. And it basically said, if you child X don't pull your socks up, we are not gonna, we're gonna wash our hands of you. Well, I'm wow. sorry, that's not education in my book. That isn't education. That's just horrific. And it didn't ask what the situation was. It didn't explore that at all it wasn't even personalized it used the child's name but it was clearly a form letter that went to a group of children whom they had decided had not engaged for whatever reason i think we've got to think about where these pressures come from and mm. i'm already annoyed that they've already decided that sats and so on will go ahead in 2021 
and you will be judged. And you're literally going, really? You couldn't have delayed that. You couldn't have said, we're still in consultation, we'll decide. There are going to be schools who are going, we have to make the grades. And those senior leaders will be mm-hmm. making decisions based on league tables, which will then put pressure on the teachers and the teachers will feel pressured. That's not what we need. We do not need any of that pressure right now. I Academic agree. stuff, we'll sort that out later. Yeah, for certain children, certain years, yes, there is. For their future GCSE years and A-level years, there is that. But in primary, it's they'll catch up. They'll be, they'll, it will all be fine in the end if we support them on this social and the emotional side. The academic side should catch up. But if you're now yeah. making them really not enjoy school and they've come from being not at school to now suddenly we're back at school and it's horrible, that's not going to help them socially, emotionally either. No, absolutely. And I think there's, there is an issue around the environment being toxic from an educational point of view. And I have huge sympathies with head teachers who are under massive pressure. I have huge sympathies with heads of department and classroom teachers. They are being judged on things that are not within their control, yep. which is, that's no way of judging people. <laughs> it just doesn't work. And it's prioritizing the wrong things. But, you know, hey, we can't change the entire education system from now. But what we're trying to suggest is that by pushing the requirement to have a recovery curriculum, what you're suggesting is that there should be time and attention paid to the well-being of students first and foremost, because if they're feeling well and stable and happy, they will be able to learn better. They will be able to perform better. They will be able to take everything on board better. And actually, funnily enough, you'll get better results. And that is a natural conclusion of children that are healthy, safe and happy who are given the right resources and the right support. So let's just talk about why it might be a bit of an issue. So 63% of, of parents who are surveyed by SEN, sorry, Special Needs Journal in 2020, said that they struggled to educate their children at home. Now, that's not assuming that they don't want to. They said they struggled to. And when they looked into those, some parents and students weren't given differentiated work. They weren't provided with work to that was at the right level they may or may not have been contacted at all by the school or the educational setting and so everyone's experience yet again is very different some have been brilliantly supported and some not at all so wherever you are and whatever your school has or hasn't been doing right now is the chance to start again and to have a fresh start and the wonderful glorious thing about September every September is it's a fresh start and that this is a really good opportunity to kind of start again, make it better this time. Let's do it better this time, just for once. We may run out of enthusiasm by December, but, you know, right now, let's let's crack this one in September. And then we can sort of do Christmas and then we can start again with the new year in January. You know, we're resourceful. We can do these things. So in order to understand how to do this, let's just talk about what the five losses are that we recognize that children have really struggled with because when you understand those you can start to supply that need and then we'll talk about the five levers things you've got available to help you make a difference so the five losses that pretty much everybody has suffered the first thing we've talked about already is the loss of routine so having to get up a certain time having to get into school at a certain time coming home a certain time eating at a certain time having a bedtime at a certain time lots of that has kind of gone by the board because we've not been able to do that and it's not been a requirement. And that has a massive impact on well-being. So when you've got routine in place, 
it helps you to stay positive, it helps you stay structured, it helps you to eat better, it helps you to exercise better, provided you've got the right elements in that routine. Yeah. And schools are very good at helping that to be a more positive thing than a negative thing. And do you know what? As a stressed out, overwhelmed parent, sometimes it's good to have somebody else nag your children rather than you because they stop listening by the time they get to the age of 12. It's, well, you know, developmentally, there is a limit to when children stop paying attention to their parents. It just doesn't happen. They then start paying attention to people in the wider community and teachers and schools are a part of that wider community. And that has to be developmentally appropriate. It has That has to happen. Otherwise, they get it from peer groups and peer groups are lousy at sharing really good quality, grown up, mature advice. You know, you do not want to leave the raising of your child to other 12 year old boys. This is not a good place to do it. No. So, if you happen to have a 12 year old boy, obviously, or even a 12 year old girl, it's even worse to leave it to 12 year old yes. boys. They just begin to have a bit of an anxiety attack, just the thought of that. So, routine is really, really important structure is massive they lost the structure of having a place to go to that wasn't their bedroom yep. they lost the structure of a social environment with their friends and their teachers and the lessons that they had and getting on a bus in the morning or getting on the train or walking a particular way or you know all of that daily structure helps to keep people safe and I was walking down the side of the path on the way back from my run the other day and I was looking at this fence the way you do. And I looked at this fence and I thought, actually, fences and guidelines and structure keep us safe because they keep us moving in the right direction. They stop yeah. us falling off into that pile of nettles that's the other side of the fence. They stop us falling off over the cliff. They keep us going in a straight direction and they give us the space and the capacity to grow. Without that structure, we lose the capacity to grow. It's kind of like, if I have ultimate choice to do everything, what the hell do I do? And that and it I think, also gives you that guidance as well. Absolutely. And I think lots of people have struggled without that, both adults and children. You know, we've all struggled. And there have been plenty of adults who haven't got up at the time they would normally have got up because they haven't got to get the kid out of school. So you know, it's not just the children who've done this, adults amongst us, let's be honest. So the third loss that they've had, which has been massive, is the loss of friendship. Yeah. Even if your children have been lucky enough to be able to contact their friends over Skype or over WhatsApp or over FaceTime, they haven't been able to just sit next to them and have that inconsequential chatter that you would normally have with somebody you're close to. And just the laughing around and the joking and the, the fun time and the just laughing at somebody because they've fallen over the edge of a chair or, you know, stupid stuff that you have when you spend day in, day out with somebody. Yeah. And that's a huge loss. You know, that is very much a part of everyone's formative experience. It's part of feeling attached and connected to people. And we know that when you're not feeling connected to people, you're far more likely to suffer mental health issues. So that connection is vital. And there's a lot of social reassurance. Yeah. When you see your friends, there's a lot of reassurance of how you're dressed, how your hair looks, what you watch, what you didn't do, what you did, how was that, what did you think about this? Did you... There's a lot of, it helps build your confidence. It helps make you those, and all of that's gone. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're lucky, you've still been talking to them. So my boy, for example, has a lot of his relationships online. He does them, lots of them through Discord, and they've still been talking to each other. He doesn't see them live anyway. So lots of them are international. 
but he has really missed not being in college. College opened up and said they could take some people in if they wanted to go. He was the only person who turned up because everybody else lived too far away and they couldn't get there. But he went because he wanted to be with other people. He was missing the physical, in-person contact with other people. And that's not that he'd been sitting in their lap or anything like that. He wouldn't be doing that. But he just missed the joshing and the joking and the, the social fun time. I, I, I walked to work I, the whole of lockdown. I've still gone to work. I've had my routine and I've said hello to the uh, security guard every morning. Yeah. And you walk past the same people, you wave at them through the park. And I've really enjoyed that. I don't know yeah. any of them really, but yeah. you see them every morning and it just it helped, it's helped me, I think, stay slightly more positive. Absolutely. Connection's vital. It's one of my five C's. I love my five C's. But we've talked about that on a different podcast. So you can go and listen to that other one. Yes. Another loss that they've experienced is loss of opportunity. And I was reflecting about all the things that they might have lost. And I thought, hmm, opportunity. What opportunities have been lost? And then I, it suddenly hit me, the year six trips that didn't happen. For anybody who's had a child who's gone through a year six trip, those trips have been formative. There have been children who go into primary and the first thing that they hear at the end of that year, their first year in primary, is how wonderful the year six trip was and how so-and-so did this and so-and-so did that. And wasn't it funny when they did this? And this was the best bit and that photo is hysterical. And the year six performance is really important, not just for those who are leaving that year, but also for people who are in younger years as something to look up to and think, that's amazing. It'll be wonderful when I go and do that. And they've not been able to do that. So the children who would have had that experience, who would have had that chance to try things like doing the zip wires and do the Isle of Wight trip that they tend to do locally around here, they would have done the stunt, doing the high wires, doing the low ropes, doing the orienteering, doing the dragon boat racing, doing the kayaking. You know, none of that has happened. And that was their chance to try those activities away from family. Because sometimes when you're with yeah. family, it doesn't always go too well. And it is that chance of I'm on my own. And my eldest did her year six, but my daughter's just finished year six. So she's missed oh, it. Yeah. Plus, plus point, she missed out on sets. Hop. <laughs> but she also um, missed out on the year six trip. And that's so huge. That is huge. So that is one thing that really, really would have, because we, we're in, we, I'm, I live near Reading, but they mm. go all, all the way up to the Lake District and they climb Ooh, one of the big hills. That is an amazing experience. And she missed out on that. And she missed out on the year six production. Now, yeah. she's not, I'm trying to work out would she have got anything out of that because it's not her sort of thing, but she is, I think she would have enjoyed it. Mm. And she didn't get to say goodbye to her school. So, they have a year six leavers uh, service in the church. Yes. And when you're in year five, you get given a buddy. So in year five or end of year four, one of the new reception children coming in, you meet them and they're your buddy and you write a letter to them. Yeah. And then they come into school where you're in year four to have a tour around and you take your buddy around the school. Then on their first day at school, there, your buddy is there waiting for you. So on your first day at school, there's somebody you already know who's going to look after you for that day and show yeah. you everything. And all of that's gone. And they get to look at all of that stuff. Um, so that bonding hasn't happened for the new children. But my daughter, who had a buddy, and they would go out to Costa Coffee every so often, mums with mm. my daughter, 
who's in year six and this child who's in year one, very different age and size, but they would play because they're friends. Yeah. And um, in that leavers assembly, their buddies hand them their yearbook. Oh. And it's really lovely. And then they go outside and all the kids sit down with their buddy and they look through the years. And then they're telling their buddy about all the stuff they've done in that school. Yeah. And it's then telling that buddy, this is what you've got to look forward to. None of that happened. And if you think of the yeah. older children, year 11 and year 13, they had the proms. Or didn't. The dresses, actually. the limousines, and none of that happened. And for some people, that was going to be the best part about the year, not the exam, mm. the prom. Well, I've had two children, one of whom was 21 in lockdown and one of whom had their 18th birthday in lockdown. And so he's got this amazing T-shirt that said, I have my 18th birthday in quarantine. That's kind of got like one of those Haskem stickers. <laughs> it's just really bright. And we did the very best we could to make it fun for them. But it's not the same experience. It's a fundamentally different experience. So there are things that you can't redo. But parents, don't panic. There are still opportunities to have different ceremonies, different things. So that's why we have to think about how to put these experiences back in place. And the year seven yep. trips were always a big thing as well. So the year six trips, year seven trips, year nine trips, they were the three times that actually schools tended to have major trips out. All those day trips that schools did in the summer term, none of those happened. You know, lots of our schools would go to zoos or out to historical places for a day. None of those happened. And, and for some children, it's a nice thing. It's another day out. But for other children, that is the Absolutely. day out. That is yeah. the trip. That is the opportunity to go to that place. So we're not far from Thorpe Park. And whenever I've taken a day off to go to Thorpe Park, even if it's term time, it's always somehow full of school kids on a school trip. Yeah. I don't know how educational it is, <laughs> but they're doing it. And so for some children, that would be their only chance they ever got to mm. go to Thorpe Park. Mm. So for them, that opportunity is gone. And I think there's a real grief that goes with that, actually, because children have been looking forward to those. They're not things they didn't know about. They're things they were looking forward to, and they've been taken away through no fault yeah. of their own. And my, my daughter, year nine, she just got her Spanish exchange trip in. Oh. She came back early February, so she got that. Wow. But she was supposed to be doing her D of E. Yeah. That hasn't happened. It's been delayed. And the year nine residential was a uh, weekend in Disneyland Paris. Oh. All those things, she look, She got the Spanish exchange trip in, but the rest of it just disappeared. And it, it's not like we'll take you to Disney. No, and, no it's, it's, it's different. It's, it's um, not the same. On the plus side, we have to kind of hold our nerve and remember that we have the capacity to do things differently. Just because you miss one opportunity doesn't mean you will miss them all. And there will be life no. after COVID. There will be a time yes. when we get to go and do trips again and people get to do things. And we need to think about which groups have missed most. When we're thinking and planning about how that is, we might need to think about which years we take and how we structure those and how we make them available to as many people as possible. So it, it's going to be tricky. And some of those are just not going to be possible to do. You can't ever have a leaving ceremony again for people who've gone and you can't have them back. You know, it, they're not going to be able to do that. Whether in two or three years' time we then have retrospective leaving ceremonies where we invite people back to their old primary schools to say goodbye in the way that they would have done pre-COVID, I don't know. 
that that it might be something we choose to do. Bit of a reunion. Yeah, I mean, it could be reunions, could be the new thing. And that could be really lovely. I think there's something really important about honouring those. But it's just, I know as a parent, I've sat there and feeling really sad that my children's experience hasn't been what I would ever have wanted for them for really significant birthdays. They're just not, and there's no way that significant birthday is ever going to come again. So we just said, we'll do it all next year. You know, it's fine. There will be something next year. There will be a different time. And if it's not next year, it'll be the year after. It's... But there's a, there's a lot of people whose 18th birthday didn't go how they expected. Oh, absolutely. Their 30th, their 40th. Yeah. So those who have that situation, it's, it's not the end of the world. And it would have been lovely. And it is. We are literally going, okay, you are a couple of thousand days old. It's a big moment. You can now drink. Never obviously had a drink before your 18th birthday, <laughs> obviously. So it is. we put a lot of emphasis on that birthday. And it is a socially driven thing. It's not the end of the world. And they will you'll make it up. Generally, we'll all make it up in a different way. Somehow. We did do quite a cute thing because obviously there were only the four of us in the house and we actually did a treasure hunt around the house. So we made him, there were little coded clues to from one present to the next present to the next present. None of the presents were big. And it ended up with a picture of a, the last present being under the rainbow. And we've got those rainbow pictures in the window that I'd painted for the carers. And, things. Oh. and under the window... We'd actually hidden a set of Corona beer. <laughs> so he got Corona beer for his 18th birthday. That <laughs> was Love. his least impressive present. He said he doesn't like beer. <laughs> he particularly doesn't like Corona beer. <laughs> it was, but it was quite a fun thing to do. And I couldn't decide if it was irredeemably naff for an 18th birthday, but actually, God bless him, he really enjoyed it. He'll remember it. He'll remember yeah. that you made the best out of bad situation. One family, I saw it on Facebook and it was genius. It was somebody's, their son's 18th. And I think he went out for a walk with someone and the rest of the family got into action. They basically turned their kitchen into like a nightclub. Oh, wow. So when they came home, the dad was on the door. Yeah. <laughs> Are you 18? Are you 18? You're allowed in. And like Brilliant. his younger sisters were sort of being on this podium. Just, and the, Mum was behind the uh, kitchen island saying, what are you having? Pint of beer? Pint of beer. <laughs> and they just made it as naff as they could. And you know that son's going, this is so naff, but thank you. Yeah, yeah. It is. It is, it is that whole, you can do things differently and they'll remember it. And when they're older, what did you do for your 18th? You're going, you <laughs> Yes, yeah, so in the naffest birthday contest, there'll be some, some then really good things. Wow, don't your parents like you? And they go, it was 2020. They go, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so it's kind of, I think we kind of decided we're going to make an exercise in making the best of a bad job. So how can we be resilient and make this as great as we can within the confines of what we have? And what we had was pretty small. So it was kind of, so it was, and he was really appreciative. God bless him. He was really, really appreciative. And it was really lovely. And the funniest thing was seeing him try and blow out the uh, candles on his cake. So I got these really old knackered sparklers that we had in the bottom of a kitchen drawer. <laughs> and the, the sparklers didn't sparkle. And they also drooped in a way that was entirely not very good on top of the cake. <laughs> so we had this wonderful film been trying to blow out these non-sparkling sparklers that were kind of <laughs> taking a really sad look at the cake. But it was hysterical. You know, people had a laugh. And what more do you want? What more do you want than to have joy? Well, however ridiculous the way you get to it, you know, that's kind of what you're aiming for, isn't it? 
a different joy. A different joy. Always a different joy. Never the one that anyone would expect. It's always a different joy. Hi, I'm back. We're going to hold the conversation there. As I said at the beginning, this was a long discussion and we've decided to split this into two parts. But don't worry though, part two is already available and waiting for you to listen. Check it out now.